You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. All right. Can you hear us in your headphones? A little too well. <laughs> okay. Oh, this is so much better. This is going to save you about an hour of editing right here. Yeah, our last one we did turned it into a nightmare. Yeah, I've, I've watched that one to kind of prep for this. Just I'm like, All right, what, what are they doing on here? Um, or I guess listen to it. I didn't watch it. Yeah, this isn't going to be like that. We're not going to be going deep into feelings and uh, <laughs> <laughs> our upbringing. Like, I'm just going to let you know. No? <laughs> That's not going <laughs> to We always start with upbringing. <clears throat> um, you don't have to talk about anything you don't want to say. But we always start with the start of athletic development. And if you want to go into personal development, you can. But if that's not what you want to do, then you don't do it. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I'm sure you know well enough to know, like, I'm not going to give a lot of personal details. Uh, trying to open up a little bit, but uh, it's for the most, like, I don't need people knowing, like, sexual orientation, who I'm sleeping with, if I'm married, if I got kids, like, my political affiliations. I don't, like, I just don't need people knowing that type of shit. You know what I'm saying? We usually don't go to any of those places, do we? So lucky for you. <laughs> lucky for you. I want to know, because we, we will ask some questions about, like, your upbringing or, like, your history in sport for sure. But um, I am actually curious as to what you've been up to since, like, let's say the running or OCR world has last heard from you. Before we dive back, I just want to be caught up to date on um, what you've been doing. What have you been doing, man? Because we got some conflicting reports. First I don't was know, that why is anybody reporting on me? I don't I'm not I don't do anything. I just <laughs> I'm sure you understand this because based off what I know about you, you are a very intelligent person who's cognizant of the way the world works. We have some people we come on here and it's like explain it's like pulling teeth to try to explain to them how people think. We've talked a little bit, you get the way things are, but so since you are an interesting person and you came out of nowhere everyone's curious but we heard you're gone anybody who compliments me this much by the way i don't know if that's a compliment or if it's a statement of fact you understand the world you're intelligent we like, talked for, for what maybe close to an hour on the phone one day we did we did yeah, yeah. i spend 60 to 70 percent of my job speaking to people so mm -hmm. within 40 minutes you have a grasp of what kind of like a full deck is this person working with <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like I need to explain to you, but people were curious about where you came from because you came in with a splash. But the other day, I got a call from Ryan Woods. Did we already start recording, by the way? We hit record from the start, but we okay. edit everything. So when you get oh, done, yeah, you cool. can be like, I don't want to talk about this or that. And we just, we hate interviews because it gets real like, all right, Sean, tell me how you feel about We'd that's, rather talk. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely on that page. That's kind of why I thought uh, this would work better. I feel like you guys are, well, I don't know. You're kind of, I think Bracken's more of like a J.J. Reddick type. Uh, he's like, is he an athlete? Is he not? I'm not really sure. Uh, Let's find uh, out. You know Kurt. what? That would sound disrespectful, except. <laughs> it's not disrespectful. Nothing would make me happier than yeah, to be J.J. Reddick. Awesome. No, I'm saying to an outsider who doesn't know J.J. Reddick. Oh, okay. Yeah, that okay. is the exact career arc I'm on in a poor man's sport, and I accept I thought it was a compliment. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a compliment. Anyways, point is, I got a call from Woods the other day, and he basically just ranted about the world championship. 
But one little thing stuck out, and he said, I'm in such great shape. I've been running. I'm hitting times I haven't hit since my 20s. And me and Sean Roberts have been hitting these. And I was like, what? It made me think he's training with Woods. Like, this isn't just, it's just not what Kirk and I thought what was going on. So I second Kirk's question, which is, where have you been since we saw you last? All right. Well, what, what are your conflicting reports? Because, you know, I've told you I care about accuracy. And I don't, yeah. Your report? And then Woods' report, which was, I'm done with Spartan. I don't yeah. I don't need to race. I went a long time without racing. I don't need it. Next conversation I get is Woods sounds like he's off in the mountains of Boone's crushing workouts with you. And it mm-hmm. just seemed at odds with each other. Like, I don't need to race. But who who goes out and crushes workouts in the middle of mountains with a Boone if they're not going to race at some point? And so it was a little bit conflicting, and it was intriguing to us. Not at all conflicting. Because both those things are 100% true. So where have you been? What have you been doing since we last saw you on a course? All right. So last year, um, like I, said, I took six years, I guess really six and a half, off of racing. And during that time, I guess what was I doing is um, <clears throat> a lot of different things. A lot of things athletically that I'd wanted to do that I never got the chance to do. Um, so, for example, I went the longest period of my life without running. And all I was doing was working on my vertical leap because I wanted to do a windmill. Like, that was just a goal that I wanted to accomplish, right? And so <clears throat> I was kind of on and off. So last year ended up just being like, all right, I'm going to, like, try this. I wasn't planning on, like, getting into racing, racing. But because, like, coming into that Jacksonville Spartan, I was running because I, I, I was, like, training. But I was running less than four miles a day on average. Like, I was – there was no – I was running, like, 25 miles a week just, like, kind of like make sure I don't hurt myself which I did hurt myself in that race um and yeah so last year was all unstructured everything I not to say I wasn't working hard because I don't want to sound like I was you know not doing anything I was training but it was kind of like oh yeah I feel like I need to do a tempo yeah I haven't hit legs in about two weeks like oh you know so it was was very much just like you're training to feel exactly because I it'd been so long since I'd pushed my body um to that near end, like when you're training peak, like you got to be on the cusp of injury at all times, right? Like five more miles and I might injure myself, but if I stay here, I'm kind of in that, um, they get, they call it the overreach uh, phase, right? And you know, like you want to hit that overreach, but I was never, I was just kind of like in the, the maintenance phase uh, at all times. So last year, 2021, Sean Roberts was maintenance phase training. The, yeah, the whole year. I didn't do any, like, I started, uh, when I moved to Boone, um, yeah, like Woods, he'd be like, oh yeah, let's do this, let's do that. And I just said yes to everything. So I'm like, oh, whatever, you know, I'm just going to. So you were training with him last year sometimes. So this goes back a little ways. No, no, I, so it doesn't go back that far. Um, like I moved in August. Oh. Which, yeah. And. Did you two connect right away? So I actually met him at Savage Charlotte, um, Mm -hmm. And I knew I was moving to Boone at that point, <clears throat> and I knew that he lived in Boone. So I mean, I, I just was like, "Hey, man, help me out." Uh, like, really, with the thing I really wanted him for was finding housing because it's really difficult to find a place to live in Boone. Um, and so I was like, "Oh, you know, like, how, how should I do that? Like, which, you know, what steps should I take?" And he helped me out a ton with that, actually. Um, <clears throat> so that's how we like started getting connected, and then when I first got here, he was showing me around, like showing me all the trails and everything. So we were doing a lot of runs together and, you know, we were getting some workouts in and all that stuff. And 
yeah, like so we we've hit some stuff. Um, I'm he he's been helping me with my uh, I guess my longer stuff. He, he had me go on the longest by time run that I've ever done in my life by quite a bit. We were out there for over three hours one time, and that was it was like uh, let me, I wish I could pull it. It was like three hours. I don't want to lie to you guys. So let me get the exact run up. We need to be accurate here. We but we know that. <laughs> I, I'm curious. I guess so with this because we had no idea. I guess in Bracken you didn't know this till the other day, but. Um, like with any other sort of purpose other than like the love of running and wanting to get acquainted with like the trails in the area or was there like something in the back of your head while doing this or is it just yeah sort of making friends with your new abode uh i'm still racing you're right oh. it was three hours three hours two minutes 13.2 miles with 5089 feet of gain that's a lot of vert <clears throat> yeah so he's really been helping me with the vert aspect of it because as I found out, like running vert, and I talked to you about this too, Brack, and running vert is just not the same as running flat. I thought there'd be a quick, easy translation, like fast is fast, you know, doesn't matter what the angle is, you know, they'll figure it out. But there, there's significant amount of work that needs to be done there. <clears throat> so I, I do, I put in a lot of vert right now, um, and then I help him out with his speed. Kirk, you're going to notice a trend here. Okay. And that is that Sean is he put, places a high priority on accuracy. In fact, yeah. that is how Sean and I connected for the first time. Yeah, yeah, you were spreading lies about me. I talked about him on a commentary <laughs> on a Savage Race, and then I talked to you on here based off what a few things I had heard and some results I looked up online. Mm-hmm. And he basically messaged me out of the blue and said, listen, we need to talk. And just spent, what, the first 20 minutes maybe correcting everything I was inaccurate about. And I found out that day, and I think it's being reinforced here where you reference around and immediately go online to double check or check your log. Accuracy is important to you. Yeah. And that's also why the whole thing went, like the reason I, I'm still racing. I'm never going to race a Spartan again. Uh, I don't want to say never, but probably not. I'll, like I'm going to do the Savage series. Yeah. But <clears throat> that's why that whole thing bothered me. I stated an opinion about how I felt those races were, right? Like, you know, I still stand by that. I, I don't personally like that you can run a race where the gap between first and tenth is three minutes, and then you can fail one obstacle and get a three-minute penalty of burpees. I, I just I don't think that that's sport. I, that just is weird to me. Mm-hmm. And Spartan's response was to retroactively talk about just ad hominem attacks, right? Like, that's all it was. And I was like, well, can can you, like, say accurate stuff? There's a lot of reasons to hate me. If you're going to just say the ones that are true, like don't tell people that I'm hitting people. Just like say, yeah, he doesn't talk to people before races and it's pretty weird. Like, what was the what was the accusation again? Because I remember. So basically what what happened was when you came onto the scene, everybody, you know, like we are thirsty for new blood in this sport. And I think you realize that, right? We really grab on to like new faces that have talent because we want that. We want competition. And then you came on and you made some waves and and you ran well. Um, And then I asked you to interview and you said, no, I don't really do that. I'd rather just do my own thing, which I respected. Mm -hmm. And then you went on ORM like a week later and talked to Matt V. Davis. And I was like, dang it. But point being is on that, I didn't know any of this stuff. Then I found out listening to his episode that there was like some crazy back chatter about you for no reason. And I, I didn't understand it. It sounded petty to me uh personally but i didn't know so like for the listeners that are listening now what was all the the chirping about 
back then, I guess. It, it I, I'm not like I don't. I wouldn't say I'm in the community. I, <clears throat> my knowledge comes from almost exclusively my DMs. Actually, either people directly telling me things about me, or people saying that, "Yo, this is what happened. Is that true?" So. Basically what happened was I ran Asheville, and I think uh, you, you, you know this. I showed up. I actually think uh, I was racing near you in part of that race, Kirk. I think I remember. We basically came on Beater together, and that's where I think your race ended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Beater. Or I think it was Beater, yeah. So we were right next to each other there. Yeah, you just were in front of me like a tit chip. Mm-hmm. Um, where was I at? Oh, yeah, so I, I raced Asheville, and I just, like, poor planning, we can call it. Uh, I didn't show up in a state in which – uh, 30-year-old Sean can race in. Maybe maybe 19- or 20-year-old Sean could have pulled that off, but, <laughs> like... I know you're not a share personal information guy, but it's a, it's worth talking about your lead-in to that race. It is. Yeah. Yeah, like, I was... I had a wedding the night before. Like, I was a groomsman in a wedding. Where? What state? In Ohio. And where was in, the race? In Asheville, North Carolina. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's not a quick drive. <laughs> no, I think it was a seven-hour drive. And what time did the wedding end for you? Uh, I cut it off early at 11 p.m., I think. Maybe midnight around there. Was it a sober wedding? It was not a sober wedding. It wasn't the ideal race lead-in. <laughs> it, it was not. Uh, there was... Yeah, it, it, I, I was in a very bad state. Like, I could tell on the starting line. And like, so I, was, I feel bad for uh, Atkins, actually. He was standing next to me, and I was burping up alcohol, and I know he could smell it. <laughs> it was, I've been there. <laughs> it, it wasn't good. Like, I was really just hoping that it was kind of one of those things where gun goes off, and then all those feelings go away. And Did you sleep at all? Uh, I think I got, like, m- maybe an hour of sleep in the car. Maybe two, like not not like real, no no real sleep, right? Like it was, I drove down. I don't know the way you were in high school or college, but all the way through college, I had my routine, and if my routine broke, I felt like I might as well not even make the trip. And here, like you get post collegiately, would you would would young Sean have even considered showing up at the start line on a one hour sleep or a seven hour drive or hungover? No, in general. So last year, I would say there were two races that were very much anomalies for how I like to show up to a race. So Utah and Asheville. One, Utah, I don't really ever like to show up to a race unless I'm racing to win, like ever. I race to win, and that's that's that. That's it. There's no other reason. If you like, I'm not happy about third place. I race to win. Utah, I came in. I had just taken two weeks off because I was on vacation, and I hadn't done any running. <clears throat> so... I was out of shape. Really, I wasn't even in that great of shape for Asheville because that was two weeks later. But Utah, I knew I'm like, I'm not great at the mountains, and I haven't been training. I know I'm going to lose this, but I need to get three National Series races in. So I just showed up to that one knowing I was going to lose, and I hated that. And then also, like, I don't – yeah, I, I'm – I will probably not live like a clock like you're saying, but I'm very much – I want to feel prepared for a race. Like, I – you know, get good sleep, uh, eat right, all those things. I, I generally do, but you know, when I'm at when a groom's in a wedding, I'm not gonna compromise the wedding for mm-hmm. you know myself. It's more impressive you showed up to the race 
with those circumstances because I certainly would not have. No way. Would you I have thought Bracken? I was going to get a little bit of credit for that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, my goodness, the chance that you set yourself up knowing that you were going to be playing with half a deck that day is, is like, that's, yeah. as you learn, Spartan Race is not one of those races where you can get away with that, I, would, I feel no. like, yeah, or any sort of OCR. Well, not a national series race. Right. No, I mean, it wasn't really going that poorly because... You were moving well when you were moving, and then you your race blew up on you, but you were moving well. Yeah, like, I, I was still like, this might work, but then it was just like something went wrong, and I was like, all right, well, I'm, like, I'm just not in the state to respond to adversity right now. Everything needed to go perfect. <laughs> That's tough. Now, I've done the all-night drive thing. I ran, I, I needed a qualifier to a, a world race one time, and I drove... I drove 10 hours the day before I slept in my car after it slid off the road in a rainstorm the night before I got like 30 minutes of sleep and I felt so terrible at the start line, just like the heaviest warm up I've ever felt. Mm-hmm. And I did not drink the night before. So you add that final piece in like a national series race with that either components, not ideal. So yeah, I think you deserve credit for showing up and, and actually towing the line. Yeah. Don't pat me on the back too much. I, it still was my choice to show up, but just really just have you noticed the excuse streak in the sport that's every sport yeah it is every sport but we have a very interconnected sport and so i think it's more apparent but there's a lot of ways races can go wrong in this sport that people can point fingers at yeah this is less of me patting you on the back and saying sean i just love who you are as a person and more of it's like how many people out there in this sport would search for anything like you know what i had an emotional conversation the day before so i'm really not in a good frame of mind or my one shoelace had a little bit of a fray in it so i don't i just knew at the start line i couldn't it was nice that there wasn't this huge sean roberts post afterwards like well i you know all things considering and then lift off a diary entry of what went wrong it's refreshing to see that aspect the only reason there was any response and that people even know that i showed up like that was because Matt Davis got that quote after I gave him one quote I said one quote and it just blew up in my face and then that's when people started saying all kinds of things about me and I was like and you like I said I care if you're saying something incorrect or not if you say something correct that's mean I don't really care but if you just say something that's like verifiably false that's gonna bother me and so that's what was happening so I was like all right we got to address this right like just correct what is wrong now if you believe me fine if you don't fine but at least the information's out well kirk and i are both i think by nature a bit of a recluse we would both be happy in a cabin in a wood somewhere not having to interact with people by nature of our profession we interact with people but i am certainly an introvert by nature and so i understand like if i could get rid of social media I would be a happy person. I don't want to be out there. So I respect that. You can get rid of social media. Well, I can, except that my (laughs) livelihood is tied to interacting with people. I coach and I podcast and that's it. That's your your full-time living? Full-time. Nice. Congrats, man. Well, thank you. But the downside is it's a very forward-facing industry. But, But my point is I think he and I both like the attitude of I don't need people knowing my life. Like, I don't mm-hmm. post pictures of my kids because that's their decision. But the downside of that stance is that when there's no information out there, any little kernel of half a truth becomes the entire story that people need to build into the whole mural that they're going to paint about who you are. And it's the downside. You, you remind us a lot of a guy named John Yatsko. 
mm-hmm. who was in the sport for a while and now he's doing other things. But he ran at NAU. He ran cross and steeple there. And he was very much... How old he is sti- he? He's probably 30 now, 31. Oh, so he was on NAU when they had them dogs out there still. Like, they were, like NAU's been oh, good yeah. for a while, yeah. So he's yeah. probably got He actually to walked on and earned a scholarship there, which is kind of cool. But anyways, he, he's fast. <laughs> he had a flip phone. He did not give anyone his number. He had there was no way to contact the guy. He would camp out in the woods the night before a race, walk out of the woods, start the race, win it, and walk away, and no one could get an interview with him. And eventually he just got to the point he's like, you know what? I'm tired of everyone having to make assumptions off little kernels of truth. So I'm just gonna open up and not like it. But it's the downside of being withheld is that people run with anything they find out about you. Yeah, I'm kind of with them on that, except I, I would say, like, what surprises a lot of people when they finally do talk to me is they find out I'm not, like, some quiet person. I'm Like, I'm generally an outgoing person. Yeah. It's just I'm a private person. Those don't have to be too mutually exclusive. Like, I, I mm. can be an outgoing person who doesn't want you to know whether or not I have kids, <laughs> right? Like, he, And he, I would say he's the same. He's private with people he doesn't know. Well, we do. We do want to get to know you a little bit, but I don't, before we ask you some of those sort of things, um, we, we won't, we won't press you too much, Sean, but um, fast forward based on the conversation that we had on Instagram, where you broke my heart, told me that you didn't want to talk to us. And then this week you decided, you know what, I'm, I'm up for it now. Like, you know what, like something, obviously like your tune changed a little bit cause you're up for chatting, which uh, was a nice surprise. I'll say, cause we did want to talk to you at the time. And now, even though maybe you're not as in the Spartan game, but we cover all the gamut, right? Including Savage, Road Racing, mm-hmm. Trail, all that. So, like, where where was that? Why was the change of tune where you were like, you know what? I'll chat with these bros for a little bit. So, for starters, I was just for starters, I was just in a good mood. <laughs> Are you still in a good mood? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good, good. I, I am good. <clears throat> um, and yeah, I mean, what Bracken was kind of saying, uh, like, you know, open up a little bit, just like get more correct information out there and like i don't want to hate media and like all things associated with it like it's just i I do sean do you know that i was i was on the bachelor and the bachelorette and do you know that i was the most hated man in america on twitter so if anybody understands this believe it or not it's me so How, how do you quantify being the most hated man it's very subjective and it's a short window. However, <laughs> 20,000 tweets a minute would, would have told me that at a time. What would you do? It just broke up with a girl. But the point being is that I, I have been I have been out in public and had drinks dumped on me. I've had ice cubes thrown at my face. I've had death threats. I've had everything you can imagine on the media hey, front what, about. What, so hold on, hold on. De- what, what's the most death threats you've gotten in a single week? Oh, I think I've gotten like three total. <laughs> I got 172 in less than 48 hours. All right, we're going to have to dive into that. But, but what I'm trying to relate to you here in the sense that, like, when it talks about, like, people assuming who you are or, like, basing their opinions on false information, I went through a period in my life where it was like, you got to be kidding me, and media will twist anything, right? So mm-hmm. part of why Bracken and I started this was to sort of do it right, I would say. And also, I've been there mm-hmm. on, like, a very large scale, so I get it. But... Yeah. So reaching out was mostly because you were in a good mood and that you were like, let's actually just like talk about like real things that have like are factual. I'm going to try and be a little bit more receptive uh, to the idea. I mean, I 
I, I think it's also good for like I enjoy doing these races, right? And I think it's good for like it seems like the the elite portion of these races has either plateaued or started to decline from my limited knowledge, like of outsider looking in, kind of just like I think that's fair. Yeah, like the obstacle course racing as an event seems to still be growing, but as a sport, it from my perspective it seems like it's dying, and I don't think having somebody who hopes to make podiums uh, in the future and refusing to talk to media is going to help that. Smart. I agree with that. Now, can you can you dive into this whole death threat thing real quick? Make me feel better? No, I cannot. No? You can't just dangle that. Was this recent or in your past? doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> you shouldn't have told us that then. That's all. The, I mean, look, you knew what you were getting into. <laughs> I, did, I didn't personally. Bracken's <laughs> talked to you before. Once. Three death threats. Get out of here with that rookie stuff, man. <laughs> Three? Yeah, well, you that would peak that would peak anybody's curiosity, wouldn't it? But man, talking about most hated man in America, you got three death threats. That hit me right at the time, I'll tell you what. <laughs> okay, one question. Were they from people you knew personally or no? Why are we still talking about this? Because you said you had 172 death threats in under 48 hours. Yeah, it happens. Um, that's that's <laughs> not like a, an aside Anyways, conversation. It, it it was. We we said it, and we kept moving on. We kept it pushing, and you <laughs> we're circling I don't know which now. we you're referring to. Let's keep it pushing. All right, so here's what we know of you currently. You were a D1 runner. I was. You held some sort of crazy job rumor was nasa you've moved around the country you've trained in different terrains you found ocr you disappeared away from spartan because of a very negative interaction or multiple with them and now you're looking at savage you're still racing you you have legitimate mid-distance speed and that's about all of the sean roberts story that is known to the vast majority of this and so i know you're not you don't want to get super personal, but I'd like to find out origin of athlete and bring us up to speed. Yeah, yeah. Most people do not find OCR and most don't stay. And since you did both, there has to be something different in your trajectory along the way, because otherwise there's no reason for the average runner to ever contemplate it, let alone come back after the first one. Yeah. Um. I mean, I guess the biggest thing that has brought me back is i i'm a very very competitive person obviously i think that's the other thing you might have missed in the one thing that people should know about me right like i don't like to talk to anybody before the race because i'm in my zone like that's one of the best feelings in the world to me is the hour leading up to the race where i'm like i'm ready i feel like tyson walking to a ring like I'm, i'm like i feel good and then a couple minutes after the race and that's more because whether or not i win or lose the things that would come out of my mouth immediately after a race are not things that people need to hear. Um, <clears throat> so I just walk away and, you know, collect myself and then come back. Um, but yeah, so that competitiveness and like needing to unleash it is kind of why I got into it because I feel like, you know, it's, it's a great thing. Everybody, like when you're an athlete, everybody's like, Oh yeah, you know, they're a competitor. Like, you know, they, like, they'll do anything to win it's like it's all positive when you think about it in that light but when you get into the real world there's a lot of negative things about that Mm -hmm. so i'd be you know living my life 
and I feel like my resonant frequency was like five times higher than the average person. I'm just sitting there vibrating, just like I like competitive energy in me all the time that I'm trying to suppress. Uh, so yeah, it, I was looking for any kind of competitive outlet, and um, I, I think this satisfies that. That's that is the, I would guess the or I would say the number one thing that keeps me training and coming to these is that I need the competitive outlet. Were you a lifelong runner, or did you start? much like Kirk and I and a lot of people in the sport just you played any sport you could get your hands on I, I played any and every sport um basketball was was my sport uh and then I just didn't hit that last growth spurt um and I was getting good at running uh I, I guess I was always kind of good at running from when I started but I was at that point I was definitely better at running than I was at basketball what point is that how old are we talking? Oh, let's see. I would say by the time I was a sophomore in high school, <clears throat> it was undeniable. And I started running track in the seventh grade. And by the time I was a sophomore in high school, it was undeniable that running was my greatest gift. Um, like I was built, born, if you, you ever read the sports gene? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, Is that David I, Epstein? Yeah, yeah. I read that and I was like, ah, yeah, like I was like born to be a runner. Which did you like more at the time? Are you asking if I like playing basketball or running mid distance more? Yeah, it's a fair question. I like playing basketball. Yeah. <laughs> what part of the country did you grow up in? <clears throat> Everywhere. So you started running track in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. What events were you, did you get to choose event or were you placed in an event? I, whatever event I wanted. I, I high jumped, um, you know, I'd run distance if they needed a sprinter. It's seventh grade, right? The athletic kid is the athletic kid. They can do whatever they want. Mm. So high school, did you go to one high school or multiple? Uh, it's hard to answer, actually. Uh, I took classes at multiple schools. And did you compete in one central location or multiple? One. One. Yeah, I took... I took uh, when I was in middle school, I would go to a high school to take classes, and then I moved... And so went to a different high school for my actual ninth, twelfth grade. You're an academic high flyer. I, I mean, I tried hard in school. Well, there's a lot of kids who try hard in school, <laughs> but don't get to take high school courses in middle school. <laughs> I was a special ed teacher prior to all this. A lot mm. of my kids tried hard, but their ceiling was not the ceiling that other people's are. Yeah, but uh, I so I went to one high school, <clears throat> and okay. that's where I competed, and that's actually probably the reason because my first high school. You know, basketball is a very political sport. Obviously, everybody knows that. Coming in, I was I moved like right before my freshman year started, and so I played summer basketball at my other school, and I was you know dressed in varsity. Like they were already like they're grooming me because they knew who I was. Like you're going to be the next guy on the team, and so I went to a different school, <clears throat> and that school had a varsity team, JV team, sophomore team, and two freshman teams. My first game, I didn't start on one of the freshman teams. And the school I moved from was better at basketball than the school I moved to. Had you grown already as a freshman? No, no, no. I, I, I wasn't my full height by then. Which is tough. So we're a basketball family. My sister mm-hmm. is drafted in the WNBA. She plays overseas right now. We're my at- dad coaches basketball. I play. Ba- I coached basketball. Um, so, mm-hmm. like, we... Go ahead. Where, where does she play? Currently, she's in Sweden. She played in Spain the last three years. Oh, okay. I got uh, family members playing overseas. Where? 
Uruguay right now. Uruguay, that's pretty cool. And she's going to play Australia this summer. Ah, yeah, I got I got family members in Australia too. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we might have to talk offline. She just signed with a team down there. I wonder if they're close. What what part of Australia? I want to say she was oh she was down to Perth or one yeah. other city, and I don't remember if she chose Perth or not. She probably chose Perth. Yeah. Anyway, feeder system. If you do not play summer ball with your team, if you are not part of their pipeline coming up and you come in undersized, not fitting their their prototypical criteria, basketball does not care what your black and white statistics are in terms of athletic ability. They don't give you the chance to see you in a game if you don't fit their that little tiny spectrum of what their program pipelines up. Yeah, so you get this is exactly what it was. I remember <clears throat> by my sophomore year, they they graced me with the uh, with starting on the JV team, and I remember sitting <laughs> in the locker room. We were about to play our rival school, and they had just gotten a transfer in, and he was starting. And our coaches were like going off on like a livid rampage, just like. I cannot believe that they have a transfer coming into this school and starting. Every single person that comes into this program was born and bred here. We don't accept transfers. And I was just sitting there as the transfer <laughs> on the team, just like, mm, mm. That's how it's going to go. <laughs> uh, that's frustrating. Yeah, I never had a chance. A quick question about the two sports then. Seeing you have, like, family who plays ball, are you the, are you the outlier on the running front? Or is this a gift that others possess in your lineage? I have – families who play every major professional sport except for hockey as far as i know running included yes oh sounds like you bracken the family full of studly athletes yeah i'm the i'm the least athletic person in my family i'm not the least athletic person in my family don't disrespect me (laughs) (laughs) i i said me personally my mom my dad my sister my other sister are are all more successful athletically than i am Mm -hmm. are you a big family or are you talking extended family or both? Both. Both. Where do you sit? Young? Are you young or are you middle or old in the family? Both. <laughs> Depends okay. what you're talking. I'm trying to get a sense of, uh, of did you follow kids in your family, uh, siblings, into basketball and running, or did you branch off yourself? I mean, the answer, yeah, I had people in every sport. So Every sport? Yeah, so yes and yes. Like, I, there's always, <clears throat> I had family members who did other sports. Like, I was never the first person. I'll, I'll say that I'm the only endurance athlete in my family. Hmm. So then basketball, did that uh, political BS ever clear up for you or did it not? No. So what I ended up like, I, I played varsity, got my letter my junior year of high school. And that for me, by that point, they kind of made me hate the game. And the only reason I even played then was because I'd kind of dedicated my life to basketball to that point well athletic life like that was what i wanted to do <clears throat> so at the bare minimum i wanted a varsity letter to show for it hmm. so i played my junior year and i knew like I, I would say probably three quarters of the way through the season i knew that this that was it and i was just like i'm i, can't, I just can't do this anymore so true story sean same same kind of thing except i came in small i was five foot one half inches a freshman 102 pounds at my physical okay i was bigger than that I didn't get off the bench my freshman year, but I love mm-hmm. basketball too much. And I did a bunch of other sports. So like I filled my cup elsewhere, but basketball is the one I love more. Stuck mm-hmm. it through, made the JV team, stuck it through junior year, started to grow a little. And with 19 seconds left in our third game, the coach told me to go check in for the first time this season. And I told him, no, I said, that's embarrassing. We've been down by 40 in every game 
He'd sat me for three years, 19 seconds left in the game. I decided I was making my stand. I didn't go in. And he told me I'll never play for him again. One week later, guys got caught at a party underage. And all were kicked off for the season. We had six guys left, and I was one of them. And I started every game the rest of my career. And he hated me for it, and he couldn't not play me. But by then, I, you know, next year I came back six foot, and I could jump. And, like, I had all my little man skills, but I had grown yeah. a little bit. And he made practice miserable, and I didn't care because every game I played was, like, the biggest FU to that coach for the rest. So I got two years of playing because they got kicked off the team. It was the only reason I saw the court. I don't know how often you tell that story, but it's you should tell it more than whatever you're telling it right now. That's a great story. First time I told anyone not in my family. I've never heard it, and I've known Bracken for six years. You need to tell that story more. That's an amazing story. Because I should have never been on the team again. Because if you decline to go into the game, yeah. like that's Antonio Brown stuff. Like the thought of that, like I cringed. I'm just like, oh, God. Like that's, I would. I mean, three years of being overlooked and disrespected. and Did you go to a big school? Uh, 2,000 kids. That's that's big. Probably usually the biggest division in the state. We were in a power conference, yeah. and we weren't good. And that was the hardest part, to sit for a bad team knowing. But that means that you had, like, it wasn't like you just had a varsity and JV team. Varsity, JV, and two freshman teams. Yeah. So they had other players they could have played instead of you. They could have pulled up them JV guys. They could have. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I, it, to the point where I had some kids come up to me like, did you call on that party? I'm like, I swear, <laughs> I did not. But had I, it wouldn't have been a bad choice. That's how you move up the depth chart. That is amazing. I, I, w- I wish that that would have happened. Well, actually, it wouldn't have mattered. Uh, I, I played enough, and I just hated my system. Uh, I, I, <clears throat> I played in athletic, run and gun, fast break. Like, I guess more of like a interpret the game as you go type deal, right? Like. So I was the only person on my varsity team under six feet tall. You know, we had seven footer, six ten guy. I don't know, like nine guys between six three and six five. Mm-hmm. A bunch of big dudes. So obviously we were inside out kind of game. But to me, it's like if I if I throw it into our six ten center and he's got a six foot six guy on him, it's like all right, yeah, we we're we're not really working a mismatch there. But if I pull him up and I have him set a screen for me, we get the switch. Then we have a double mismatch going. I'm not going to throw the ball into him because then we're just going to get a double down, right? Like, that makes no sense. He's got mm-hmm. a six-foot-one point guard on him who's going to hold him, and then we're going to drop down, and then we're going to have to swing the ball around. We're not an NBA team. We don't have that kind of coordination. But if you put a six-foot-six guy who hasn't moved laterally in the last three months on me, all right, put him 15 feet extended baseline, one-four flat, like, go to work, get him an easy layup off of a drawing a double team in addition to him like that that's the type of basketball that i like to play and my school was more of a like our fast break was a play it was called maryland we had like an actual fast break play everything was the controlled break and like that's our offense was called the staley stall (laughs) anyway i feel for you so Mm -hmm. basketball never breaks through running was it socially acceptable to run at your high school? Yeah. yeah. So my high school was 3,000 kids, and we were good at every sport. Like, okay. Always across the board, like, at least fighting for a conference championship in every sport, and we were in a big conference. Uh, it was just kind of how, there's like, my high school went. There's a lot of famous athletes from my high school. Um, so, yeah, it didn't really matter what sport you did. You could be yeah. in a band, honestly. Our band was national champions sometimes. Mm-hmm. 
which I don't know how you can win nationals and band. I don't know how they judge that, but yeah, <laughs> they did. So you bailed on basketball after your junior year or mid junior year, yeah, and then went all in on track. No, and... no, I, I I finished the season. I didn't oh, you did. The team. Okay, I finished, got that letter. The season. Got that letter. That's yeah, right. Got the letter. And then were they like? Was it one of those things like, "What the heck, Sean? You're not coming back?" Or did they know what they were playing with there? <laughs> after I quit the team, so moving in, it was it was very clicky on the basketball team. So I was never really accepted by the basketball mm-hmm. team, right? Like it, like they they just never they were just like, "You're an outsider," kind of thing. As soon as I quit, I was everybody's best friend. You were living their dream a little bit? Coaches were saying hi to me in the halls. Like, you know, the teammates were finally inviting me to do things. And I'm like, this is... Was it all because you came in as, like, the new kid, do you think, as the transfer? Like, it stemmed from the beginning, or... I am 98% sure that that is the reason, because I wasn't the only... Our school would get a good amount of transfers because we were good at sports. So we'd have people transferring for the football team or for track team whatever reason and so with that some of those people want to play basketball so i'm not the only person who was a basketball player transferred in and then you know just like kind of got stonewalled um that that was the basketball team was the only team as far as i know that kind of did that where they were like no 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 we want everybody to have been born and bred through the system because they like their system ran deep. They had the the elementary school and middle school programs <clears throat> starting out and like learning how the high school program was going to play. Um, it was, I mean, it was a real system. Was that allowed when you were in school, Bragg? And like for me, the transfer wasn't allowed. I believe you could pick your private school and go play sports there, but public is like if you didn't live in the district. I think it was maybe just after I graduated where they opened that up, where you could be like, I'm gonna go there. That wasn't allowed when I was. Was that allowed? I suppose by the time you were in high school, you could do that anywhere. Yeah, it was allowed. It was less prevalent in our area of the country, but the coasts were doing it like crazy. Mm. It's, it wasn't allowed where I was, uh, it, but it you know, there's loopholes. Our open enrollment is pretty slack here. You can pretty much come up with a reason to go anywhere. Mm. I, got, I know uh, there was a kid that transferred, and the way that he got in trouble was because. Hit the what his residence had a two cent electric bill, you mm-hmm. know, like they they were they said I think they said that he was living in a trailer, um, and so they had like a trailer, but so you weren't allowed to transfer unless you transferred to a Catholic school or private school. But was this a prep school or just a private school? Public, public. That's what I'm saying. You you weren't allowed to transfer in, but there there were ways. So middle school, you jumped, you sprinted, you ran distance. Did you start to refine in, in high school? A uh, little bit. I didn't run anything under the 400, um, but I high jumped, right? Like, What'd you high jump? Over six feet. Yeah. Yeah, 6'2". But I didn't train for it. It was The reason I high jumped was because we had a kid transfer in who had a lot of talent and ended up being a 6'10 high school high jumper, mm-hmm. but uh, he just needed some motivation. And me being the hyper competitive person that I am, my coach she's like, all right, go high jump with them this next meet, and uh, you know just like see, and I was just like, all right, let's let's do it. And so he hadn't gone over six feet at that point, but we knew he had the talent, and he went six four that meet because I went six two. That's funny. The classic mid distance high jump combo you hear about all the time. And are you five ten, five eleven? I'm five ten. Five ten, jumping six two in high school. Hmm. It's not bad. 
Anytime you jump over your own head, that's that's respectable. It's, it's not good, but it's not bad. I didn't jump over six foot in high school. I was a two foot jumper, and I could never learn to jump one footed. Oh, are you not? I thought you were saying you were two foot on the high jump. But say, oh, I mean, sure if that were legal, I'd probably jump higher. <laughs> <laughs> Did you stand out in high school? Spoiler alert: You ran D one. So were you were you like the kid? You were the man there, or were you one of them and you just steadily progressed? Uh, I th- I would say as far as running goes, I was uh, I, I was a standout. Um, I had a good team. Uh, so there was another guy on my team who was a sub sixteen five k guy, uh, state champion in the thirty two hundred indoors. But for sure, I was the guy. What were you running in high school? Okay, so 800 meter, uh, I ran 153.45. It's flying in high school. Uh, you know, I, it, it is, but I, I, I don't, I didn't break out until I was a sophomore in college. Those were okay times. Um, but like up here, that would, that might win you a state championship in big school division most years. Yeah. Mm. 1600, 414. Don't remember the decimals on that, unfortunately. Uh, I don't think I ran a 3200 after my sophomore year, but my freshman year I ran 958. My sophomore year I ran 944. Uh, 5K, I went 1648 my freshman year, 1616 my sophomore year before I got a stress fracture. Junior year I went 1535 <clears throat> uh, at a relatively... No, that was a state meet. That was that was a good course. And then senior year, I went fifteen twenty four in a five k fourteen twenty six in a two point nine six mile. Fifteen twenty four combined with one fifty three speed is yeah. And then forty nine point four in the four hundred open. No, I, I've, I've never run an open four hundred. Yeah. Um, uh, what else? I think those are. I think I hit all the high school events. Yeah. And were you taking college prep courses throughout this? Were you were you like full track on go as to a school you had already picked out, or were you feeling out college offers to decide what was going to happen? Uh, I I think I got pretty lucky there, where I had a good coach who marketed me well. Um, so it was more yeah, I I was kind of like seeking out the universities more so than like waiting for somebody to contact me. I remember the reason. Georgia Tech got mentioned as I was walking down the hall my high school coach who was obviously was also a teacher he just looked at me he's like what you think about Georgia Tech and I hadn't even considered it and <clears throat> so I was like hmm thought on it and then I was like yeah contact him and so I was I went on a visit like two weeks later because you know I looked him up and I was like yeah it seems like a good program how does that look when you're like at, so I never did that I was a big fish in a very 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 small pond my you know Green Bay's 100,000 people you guys were like big fish and like big ponds, right? So it works differently. So like every little ho-hum school was getting in touch with me. I had plenty of non-offer offers, so to speak, but nothing big and I didn't really care. So like you would proactively write letters, get in touch with coaches, show them your resume. I never did this. I had no interest from college. Really? Huh. Yeah, no, mine, I I had a lot of interest, I guess. Um, Like I, I was getting a lot of phone calls uh from coaches and coaches visiting and stuff like that and it Hmm. mostly the letters man like you're getting like five Hmm. to ten letters a day that it's just like that shocks me because like every day after school it'd be like they'd lift list off announcements before like the last bell rang and kirk dewent you have mail in the office it was like every other day for the entire winter my senior year you never experienced that bracket even with those numbers well remember a i wasn't very good and b i grew late 
Mm. What were your times in high school? Well, my junior year, I ran 452. My senior year, I ran 426. Mm. 452 in the full mile? Uh, no, 1600, 452, senior year, 426. So the junior year times make sense then. I, I didn't, I had a little boy's body until I was 18. Mm. Even 426 is not enough to get offers. Yeah. Point was, if you're not anything by junior year, you're not getting contact. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't that fish, Kirk, so I didn't get any interest. Mm. I had to sell myself and, and, and trick someone mm-hmm. into taking me. But So you chose Georgia Tech, went down there, and did you go in with an idea of your course of study? Yeah, I, I knew immediately that I was going to be mechanical engineering. And Georgia Tech, it's a good engineering school. Yeah, it's uh, t- top three in my program. Um, <clears throat> for sure, like, it, Engineering is was what the school is for. I'd chosen my major before I was looking at schools because, again, like there was no way to to choose a school just based on like oh who wants me it's like okay i need to figure out what i want and then it's a good place to be in yeah like i said i got like i had a really good uh coach and support system and circle like people it it, it worked out right like there's people who are way more talented than me who didn't get you know the opportunities that i got was it a hard sell to the coach to get in or was it more like you made the interaction they recognize your talent coming on board was offered yeah, it, it was it was pretty. I, I didn't really have to worry about that. Okay. Like, yeah. At one fifty three, I'm not surprised. I don't think one fifty three is as fast as you're saying, man. I think one fifty three. How is many like, fifteen twenty eight <clears throat> guys have one fifty three though? Not many. Fifteen twenty four. Fifteen twenty four, even more. So like, the higher you go up, usually that that basement starts dropping out. But if you had yeah. speed in your basement, that's enticing to a college coach. Yeah, and the reason I think that I ran, I, I would say I was better at cross country than I was at track in high school. And the reason for that was just I was playing basketball, so I wasn't training. And even mm. my senior year, like, when I didn't play basketball, like, I wasn't really doing a whole lot. I mean, I should have run faster, um, for sure. Like, I, I, my senior, senior year was disappointing. 414 and 153 were not the times that I was capable of running. Uh, but, you mean, nobody ever runs what they think they can run. You had your support system in high school, which is invaluable. Mm-hmm. How did you find going off from your system to Georgia Tech? I had, I had no transition issues. I, I would say the biggest issue was going from, like, it was, it was academically, going from, you know, high school, you don't have to study. You just kind of show up to class, and then, like, you know, you, you get a grade. Like, you, you, I mean, you study, like, in class if they give you the work, but you, you don't have to do much in high school. Then you go to a real engineering school, and I remember the first test I took at Georgia Tech, um, really the whole first class, was, like it was a Calc 2 class. And I was like, nah, I took two years of calculus in high school. This is not going to be a problem. First test, 5 out of 30. Average, <laughs> the, average was a, the average was a 10 out of 30. So it wasn't like <laughs> I was way below the average, but I was still like, oh, no. <laughs> so I, that's when I was like, okay, I have to start like putting in work academically. Um and that class, uh, the professor ended up giving 80% of the students D's. Were you one of them, hopefully? I was. Yeah? I was. I, I would always wonder, Bracken, because we kind of, I feel like we had it easy in the sense, so we both went to Division three schools. Our conference schools were pretty close. We could bus there for a race. We'd miss very little class, maybe a Friday or a Friday afternoon. Um, and that was still like a juggle, right? I mean, I was a kinesiology major. That's that's probably potatoes compared to the studying you had to do, right? But um, 
How did you balance that? Because you traveled much more going to a big school like that, correct? Mm -hmm. And you were on the road a lot. Well, what did I do my freshman year, Kirk? I guess you did that, didn't you? And what happened to me? You left. <laughs> I had a one seven. I was on probation. There you go. And then I transferred back to D3 because I couldn't handle it. I wasn't mature enough to handle trying to be a D1 athlete and do actual. Well, hey, I went to D3 and I had a 2.3 GPA after my first two years and then 4.0'd my last five semesters and barely got into grad school. However, how did you juggle that? Like, I want to know, like, the life of, like, a, like a big D1 traveling athlete. You may not think it's a big deal, but to most it is. It's a curiosity. Like, what was that like? Was that tough? Uh, so first semester I redshirted, I knew that for sure. And I still like had that academic transition. So I can't imagine what would have happened if I didn't, uh, redshirt and I was actually traveling. Second semester, I had it figured out. <clears throat> um, the traveling never really affected me. Uh, I, cause I, I mean, I'm going to put in the work regardless. Uh, it was more like missing classes is an issue, um, in that professors so i guess you gotta understand georgia tech is a research institute the people who are teaching those courses don't want to be teaching so if you're inconveniencing them they don't really they're not like oh i'm gonna work with you like i remember i had a sheet of paper i had to give all my professors at the beginning of the semester like these are the classes that i'm going to miss and that didn't always go over well like i remember Mm -hmm. one professor specifically was just angry at me immediately i handed it Mm -hmm. to him he just got mad and i was i what do you want me to do this is the reason i can afford to come to this school <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah like that wasn't great um I, i've had professors who said okay yeah it's fine but you have to take the test at the exact same time as the rest of the class with a uh, certified exam proctor and stuff like that so i had a teammate who had to take a test on a plane once um i got lucky i just had to take it on uh, in a hotel who got certified as a proctor on the plane our coach <laughs> makes sense yeah, it's so that that was fine. Um, I guess it became more. I mean, my sophomore year is when I started. I would say I got good at running, uh, <clears throat> and then that's when it kind of I got a little bit more distracted because I started to see a future in running, and at the same time, I was starting to realize how much I hated engineering. So hmm. going to classes and school and all that was becoming more than a chore it was becoming torture i i just didn't want to take any of my classes that i was taking and i I just i i became i started hating engineering and then at the same time it's like oh you keep you all right you're like you're you're a legit good runner now like that can't that's undeniable this is where you're seeing real success so obviously your interests start to shift and so those last i would say the third through fifth year it was tough like i still put in the same amount of work but probably more actually but it was i i was not having a good time academically like i I was just unhappy with my major and everything and having that track track success just makes it so much easier to dislike the thing that you exactly (laughs) it's unnecessary though yeah did you make it did i make what did you make it through yes like some people, like we had, I had some kids who made it through their eligibility and even it's D3 and, and I had two in particular and they're like, peace, I don't need to go for another year. Like I'm out. They was like so over it. I made it through my eligibility. I got my, actually, funny story, I had to take a summer class after I graduated because the advisor, I guess I made the mistake. The advisor didn't catch it. I had to take an elective course 
that, yeah, an elect, like a free elective any class you wanted. So I signed up for a business statistics class. I was like, that's going to be easy, but it's not something that's useless. I want to take something that's still going to help me in some way. Took the course, easy course, enjoyed it, got the grade. Come to graduation, they're like, you don't have the credits to graduate. You're one free elective short. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, that stats class doesn't count because you took an engineering stats course. You can't double up on stats. So they let me graduate and they let me walk. But it kind of ruined my whole graduation because I was like, I got to take a summer class after this. What did you take? U.S. history. All right. So that highlights our readiness for adult life. I had a similar situation. I chose exercise walking. I took the easiest way out. And you're like, you know what? I want to do something that'll help me. That's not a class. Um... No, of course not. But that was my mindset. <laughs> I'm going to take the easiest, low impedance. Let's get out of here. I I might have. I think that was my option uh georgia tech doesn't have a wide variety of like we don't have they didn't have a lot of different majors and so um there was no gym classes or anything like that there it's as far as i know at least it might have changed and yeah we had a big human health and performance division at ours so you could find any sort of fiad class to get there like we had a history of chairs class which was the like the mythical class that if you could get into it was but i was not going to history of chairs (laughs) I like that. So what was your athletic progression like? You said sophomore year, you came into your own. So freshman year, um, didn't run cross country, indoor track, uh, first ever race. Um, well, I guess first ever race, uh, ran into a cameraman. And so they had to rerun the race. How, how early in the race? 200 meters. Okay. Cameraman was backing up onto the track. Oh, they, they got exploded. Uh yeah, oh, they, that was that was bad, and then uh so they ended up distributing that heat among the rest of the heats the rest of the day, so I ended up running in like the fifth heat of the eight hundred, uh first ever college race I ran one fifty seven, and then I dropped one second every race, indoor until I got down to one fifty, not I I can't say for sure it was, it was around one fifty four one fifty three, <clears throat> outdoor. Struggled a little bit. Um, only ran 152 at my best, and I ran a lot of like 155s. Uh, I just wasn't performing well. Um, and I think it was partially to do with transition and training. Because um, I remember saying, I don't think that I'm faster than what I'm running. I think I'm running as well as I can. I think this is the shape that I'm in. What was the difference between your high school and college training styles? College was definitely uh, more periodized. Okay. Typically, if you can run close to your high school PR as a freshman, that's a good start to college with all the other moving pieces. See, I've never heard anybody say that, but I, I can I can definitely get on board with that because I think, even though the other pieces didn't affect me, I think just the transition. I think any new training program or plan or anything, first year is just like a, a wash. Like, whatever happens, happens. Uh, and then, <clears throat> so basically... I was kind of the low mileage guy on the team because I guess my coach, like I, w- I came in wanting to run the steeplechase actually. And my coach's response to that was, why run the steeplechase when you can be an All-American in the 800? And I, I-, I didn't argue, but I was like, what if I could be a national champion in the steeplechase? <laughs> He's devaluing it a bit. Yeah. Uh, so I was like a low mileage. I was a 400-800 guy in my freshman year. Mm. Um, which I think also 
kind of hurt me because I think I respond really well to like longer endurance training. Uh, like I, if I'm training for the mile, I run my best 800. Mm-hmm. So then you weren't running cross, I guess. That's something I glossed over. They didn't, you didn't get recruited or uh, for cross. No, and I told you, I think I was best at cross in high school. That's shocking to me. After my freshman year, it was kind of, I guess I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I felt like I was being a little bit disrespected for my endurance abilities. I felt like I had... Is that tough for you to come up with a chip? Particularly. (laughs) (laughs) And I took that personally. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I put in a lot of work over that summer because I wanted to show up, um, and we would do ridiculously long tempos eight to ten mile tempos once a week Mm. and i was like i'm gonna show up and instead of him making me go five miles in the slowest group i'm gonna be in that first group going the whole thing like regardless of what he wants like that's what's gonna happen and i I did it i came out and immediately i was like yeah i have this endurance i can run this so i I was on the cross-country team so my first cross-country season uh, i ran 2458 at the um in North Carolina great American that same course uh that same area I believe but like the course Mm -hmm. is different 8k versus 5k because great American's a 5k course I think maybe it wasn't they host high school and the 8k in the same day so they have two courses on that route yeah it's not a super easy course then that's not the same course it was a super easy first mile's fast I would agree with that I still think it's a fast course overall well I was Uh, slow I think every course is tough uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so 24.58. And then indoors, uh, I was really excited for track because I, I was like, I had speed. Um, I've ne- I never lose speed. There's something that kind of stays with me, but I had much bigger base now. Uh, so indoors, I ran 150.64 or 0.67. I can't exactly remember. I think it was 0.64. That's a huge jump in the 800 for people listening who don't know. That's a That's a monster jump. And that happened at the conference meet prelim. I outleaned a guy to make the final. And that was, mm-hmm. up to that point, probably my greatest racing moment of my life was, like, making the ACC final. How'd the final go? I think I got fifth. Yeah. It's all conference. I think it was, yeah, pretty sure Robbie Andrews was in there and, you know, yeah. like Lance Roller. There's there's a lot of All-Americans in that race. <laughs> Outdoors was when I would say... I broke out in the 1500. So that's the only season where I was a 1500 runner. Uh, Cause I didn't, I didn't run any faster than 800 outdoors. Uh, I opened up the season with the 347, 1500, which was a 10 second PR and uh, won that race. And I think I uh, pretty sure I closed in 57, five in that. Uh, and I, I, could, I was running 346, 347, closing in mid to high fifties, pretty much the whole year. Uh, made the NCAA prelims and in in the prelim race there were there were get five all Americans I got into a tough heat. Uh, and with six hundred meters to go, I was feeling myself so I took the lead and I just started going. Three hundred to go. Had you done that yet that year? I did that every race. You what you told, you went from six out and still closed sub sixty? Yeah. I I close every race in sub sixty. Doesn't matter. Okay. So I took it from 600 out, and with 300 to go, man, I'm pretty sure people in the stands were passing me. Like I was going to pass. Right? <laughs> That's <laughs> the word. The piano on your back is the worst feeling in the world. Oh, I was, I was still running fast, because <laughs> again, I closed 
and probably 55. But, man, they I think they closed in about 52. It always boggles my mind why um, most coaches, when they see like a, a talent come in, it's not a prereq to be on the cross team if they're considering you for the 800. I guess there's people who race up to the eight and people who race down. But I feel like that was that's mm-hmm. shocking to I me. Mean, you know your freshman year would have went better if you ran cross in track. Yeah, but I, I it was my choice to redshirt. Like I knew coming in, I wanted to be there five years. I didn't want no. to rush, so I can't. I'm not going to blame the coach. Makes sense. So when did you redshirt track? My fourth year indoor. Yeah, and then was no no my fourth year outdoor, and I. So my fifth year, I had a cross country and an outdoor track, no indoor. That's a good setup to a fifth year. I, I mean, it was it was planned. I thought I thought I had a good plan going. Um, no double peak in spring or playing that game of do I train through indoor or not? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess yeah, the, the big thing that happened my sophomore year was uh, I beat a guy i don't want to call people out and tell them i, I beat them but like I, I beat the guy who got seventh at the world championships in the 1500 that year i'm trying to do timeline in my head who that would have been you can go look it up uh he he made a tactical error he let it go out slow and on the first 200 of the last lap i dropped a 25 i was like <laughs> you gapped him yeah what year was this my sophomore year and that's and beating him was when i knew that I'd kind of arrived because um, he, you know, obviously was many time all American, pretty sure national champion a couple times. And then, yeah, uh, kind of progression there. Ne- the next Is that year, the eight was or the 15? That was 15. He, he got seventh in the 15 and I beat him in the 15. Subjective question real quick, little off tangent, but people like to debate this and I guess Bracken and I could too. What's the more painful race, the 800 or the 1500? 800. You think it's the eight? Nobody's. Nobody debates that. They debate 800 and 400. I think 400 is the easiest event on the planet. <laughs> See, there's debate to be had. I, yeah, there's a debate there. I think 15 hurts more than an 8. That's what I think too, but I didn't. I mean, that you're wasn't... wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the, my argument is in an 8, by the time you're hurting, you're kicking. Okay, in a 1500, it's kind of the same way, right? Like, I feel like if you run your best race, when you hit 800 meters – you're running on borrowed time already. At least for me, anytime I PR'd, I was, it was a lot of pain for about a minute 45. What's the earliest you hurt in an eight? How much to go? How much to go? 500. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you get in deep water. No. So I, I, you, so I'll give you this. I'll give you this. I never ran a fast 1500. So it, I, I never ran anywhere near what I was capable of running in a 1500 or a mile. So all my races were always like comfortable. You made sure to close. Except I always closed mm. in under 60. And the reason I was able to close in under 60 every single race is because I wasn't running. Cause you didn't hate your life at 800 <laughs> meters. <laughs> like <laughs> I always sense. did. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I don't think I ever went out in under two Oh three. Okay. Mm. I went out in two. I ran one outdoor mile ever. I went out in 203, came through in 304, and then ran a 401. Well, I was obviously slower than you, but I think every 1,500 or mile I ran in my life, all of lap three was just don't let go. Don't let go. Don't let go. Uh, Just whatever I can do to not just walk off the track. For me, it was always fine positioning because I like to be in the lead or on the outside leader at the bell. 
Uh, so it was always like, just like hunting, figuring like, oh, how can I move up? That's how you know when you're good, when you have decisions to make at that point in the race. You're like still making decisions. <laughs> That's always a good spot to be. Well, again, I, I didn't run fast. Uh, in, like Fast is relative. Yeah, it is relative. Relative mm-hmm. to what I think my peak time could have been, which would have hurt really bad, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. I, I was. You ran 401 in your only full mile outdoor? Yeah. And what do you think you had? Like, if you took a year post-collegiately to run a mile, what do you think you could have popped? That wasn't my year running post-collegiately. All right, if you took one more year. <laughs> Got in the right race. Uh, Somewhere between 354.5 and 356 flat. Okay. Um, pretty confident in that because the guys that I was training with at that time were running 353, 354. Um, and I'll give them they had experience, so they, they probably would have beat me. But I don't think that they were going to embarrass me, uh, I think. Did you ever get to run steeple? Never once. I ran it in high school. Full steeple or like a mile or two k. I ran a three k steeple my sophomore year of high school. I went nine fifty. I think it was fifty seven or fifty eight. For some for some reason fifty four. Was that an AU meet? That was at uh, the USA National USA too. That's cool. So you graduate, you've got your degree. And you hung on for one, you you went in for a year of post-collegiate training with a team? Yeah. What team did you hook up with? New Jersey, New York. So, you, you know Gags? Yeah. Oh, I don't, not personally, but I read everything on Gags I can get. Yeah, Gags was my coach. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, like, is in Gags talks to the guys and I'm there, or Gags knows me by sight and by name? As in, yeah, like, he's my coach. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so you were you were like a legitimate part of the team, not one of the hanger-ons on the team. Yeah, I was I was on the team. I'm not putting was... that on you, but I know people are like, oh yeah, I trained at at OTC, and it's like, well, they no, no, training I... at OTC, and then there's training at OTC. I I ran at USA's under gags, like we were there together, and he was giving me strategies, and like we were, yeah, like that's cool. Did Woods run under gags too post collegiately? Yeah, I, I did know that. That's one of the things that I connected with him on. Yeah. You both took a year under gigs. Mm-hmm. To put a timeline on that, what is that, like 2015? Graduated 2014, yes. So 2015, 2015 okay. was the track season. Because we're a ways out from that now for you to come back to competitive running after a break that you mentioned earlier. So, Yeah. How did you find post-collegiate that professional running lifestyle? So I say it was the best year of my life, <clears throat> but I also had the lowest lows of my life that year. It was. It became an unhealthy relationship, which was nothing. I never do anything because of one reason, but one of the many reasons that I didn't keep racing uh, was just it. It was like I'd get go into like depressions almost over workouts. It was and the the workload was just so much. It was like intervals with uh, like longer intervals on Mondays, tempo run Wednesday morning, hills Wednesday afternoon hard workout the hard workout of the week was on friday long run saturday sunday take it easy do it over again just over and over and Mm -hmm. over Mm -hmm. and then it's like this is your livelihood and it's just like it just starts to train on you you're exhausted all the time you're never not tired because it's like oh yeah yesterday i just did these intervals with these you know 354 milers all right tomorrow i gotta do a tempo run with this 28 minute 10k guy Mm -hmm. (laughs) right it it's so I, I had some low lows. I remember stopping a tempo run one mile in 
walking back and then just telling my teammates, I think I'm done. Like, this was in March or April. Like, I don't think I want to run. I don't think I ever want to run. Like, I think I'm just, that's it. Was that a low day or was that it? It ended up being a low couple weeks. And then I came back. But that's like, and then, you know, you open up, I opened up my outdoor season with my only ever mile and I ran 401. So I'm like, oh yeah, like, this is awesome. Like, this is, this is great. Like I'm, I'm fit. Like I know I can run faster than that, you know? So you're like, you're happy then. And then you have a bad race and it's like, oh, my livelihood depends on racing well. Oh, and then it's like, oh, you weren't working. No, you were in, in. Yeah. I was, I was sponsored runner. So something I want to know then is how would you describe the pressure difference between being a high performer collegiate athlete and then transitioning to a professional runner post-collegiately? Uh, that's, I don't think I'm a great person to ask that because I don't really ever deal with pressure or nerves. I, like, that's just not something that affects me really too much. I, mm. I, I don't, I don't get nervous before races. Um, I get excited. Like I'm ready, you know, like out there, like, like get after it. Um, I, I generally perform better the bigger the race is. So I, I don't, I'm not, I just don't think I'm the, the right person to answer that. Okay, other than self-imposed pressure, I guess, like outside pressure from coaches or sponsors, did it feel pretty heavy as a pro runner, or did it they leave you alone? I would say it was equal, if not more, for college huh. as far as outside pressure. Because um, it's like your livelihood, right? Like it, I mean, whereas the, the college coach, his livelihood depends on you racing well. Good point. When you're racing full time for yourself, it's like, okay, well, do you want to win this race check? Then race well. <laughs> you suck. We'll replace you with the next guy that comes in. We'll be all right. Yeah. yeah. Like, Did you have an incentive lading contract, or was it basically like a shoes and room and board contract? So for me, it was full gear, travel, uh, like that good stuff. Uh, and then the next year before I stopped they would have added incentives, I believe. Um, but I was my rookie year. They didn't give me anything special. Why did you do that? Was it to find out or did you have a specific goal for continuing on? The goal was, so I qualified for the 2012 Olympic trials with the B standard, uh, but I didn't race in them. In the eight? Yeah. Uh, didn't race in them. And I just always assumed like, I'll just run at the next one. Um, and so I was like, all right, well, I'm training. I'll go race at the next one. And I stopped a year before, so I've never actually gotten to run in the Olympic trials. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's probably one of my bigger regrets. So you ran, what, 146-something in college? 147. Seven what? 147.66. Point 0.66. Did you get to run one with gags, or did you run that mile and then you just kind of fizzled out? Uh, I did. I didn't run. I didn't actually PR in the 8th that year. Um, I opened up in 148.5. And that was a good race. Like, that was what the race went. And I, I, really, now that I'm thinking about it, I think I only ran, like, four races. Uh, because I ran two bad races in a row. I ran, opened up in 148.5 and ran the 401. And then I had two bad races in a row. And you just can't really afford that. And that, yeah, so, I, like, I didn't, and that was early June. So I didn't race after that. I don't know if you can call them politics, but what do the politics look like of that after you have two bad races in your first year under sponsorship? Like, what happens then? Nothing. I, don't, I wasn't a, a high enough sponsorship level for that to matter. Okay. Like, that's just... Is there a hierarchy on that team, so, like, socially that's based off performance, or is it just a bunch of guys and racing is cool? 
just a bunch, there was no hierarchy based on how fast you were. That's cool. The hierarchy was based on how well you could dance. Um, <laughs> Where'd you fall on that? That's why I stood at, I stood at the top. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about distance runners here. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. I, yeah, I was the only one that had a sprint background, of course. <laughs> no, uh, no, they, they were all great guys. There was no discrimination. Like, we had those fringe guys on the team. Um, everybody was accepted, and yeah. Like, I felt very much as a part of the team, as I think everybody else did. Like, I, I still hang out, talk to those guys. Like, it's, yeah, it's a good relationship. And none of them, none of them will ever know I do OCRs. But <laughs> I can't tell you, your boys that yeah. run OCRs. <laughs> no, I'm not. I don't want to get roasted. I could see that's why you don't go on <laughs> a whole lot of media media tour about this. That makes sense. That's something that a lot of people wouldn't understand in our world. That only know OCR world. They wouldn't understand how this is looked at by people that you went shoulder to shoulder with on that team. Yeah, yeah. I I don't. Again, I don't want to uh, say that OCRs are frowned upon. Oh, it but... is. You can say that. Oh, yeah, say that yeah, we do. It's a mud run to a runner. It's it's even below triathlon. Oh, it's way below triathlon. But as far as I know, uh, I don't want to say that like OCR isn't a serious sport, but it's a r- sport based on running, and I haven't heard of the other runners. From from a from a running perspective, I would argue that. Road cycling and mountain biking are ahead of OCR in traditional runners' eyes, even. Yes, and that's not even running. So you left a pro group, yeah, and then you had to start "quote unquote" real life, yeah. Which probably for the first time in your life, you weren't going from season to season, mm-hmm. following a team like that. That first time post collegiate or post pro team is is a bit aimless for you was it or did you have something waiting that made it not aimless uh, i got a job pretty quickly after um yeah i mean that part the transition from identity being an athlete and where academics and work and stuff is like just kind of a thing where everybody's like you need to have this like this is important this is your fallback like all that blah blah mm-hmm. blah blah but still when it happens you're not ready um and there's I mean, when you tie your identity to something and then that thing is no longer there, you deal with a lot. I think it's becoming talked about more, but 10 years ago, I don't think people really gave it the the awareness that it deserves. It's tough to go from, I'm an athlete to, I'm just a a guy. What was your fallback? Working. At the local grocery store or did you have a career lined up? I had a career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What did you do? What did I do? Yeah. When you when you left running, what was your first adult job? I, I was an engineer. Where? Jesus Christ. I I worked for NASA. All right. You can't Jesus Christ that. You think I I'm gonna leave NASA off the table? <laughs> yeah. I I just don't like to. It, it, it's fine. We don't have to dig into it, but I mean that's a resume line not everyone throws around. So I have a cousin who works at SpaceX. Mm -hmm. So a bit of insight into that has been present for me. And it's a fascinating world. He's an engineer for SpaceX. He he is the person who designs the attachment piece for the payload on the rocket. Each payload's different. He he the attachment housing, he heads that division. Which rocket? Uh I I don't know. What every rocket that SpaceX launches that has a specific payload, he just designs the attachment piece for that yeah 
And that's what people don't understand about engineering is that you're not like getting to build some cool thing. What you're working on is a part of a part of a part. And really you're just like, you just do calculations on that. Luckily mine was a little bit more involved in that. I got to enjoy mine a little bit more, but as far as engineering goes, it's, it's really not a fun job. Were you a, a small team isolated or did you get to work with some of the other groups working on projects? Did you get to see the inner workings of NASA or you're just like, we got a team of six and we have one task list and we get that done and that's the extent of our life here? I had a lot of contact with not only the people at my center, but people at other centers in America and worldwide. You had to have done well at Georgia Tech to take a year off of work, which I assume no continuing education or outreach, any sort of work in the field and jump right into NASA coming off of pro running. I did adequate. NASA hires adequate first year? It's government work, man. I don't know. You're, <laughs> you're making a big deal out of it. It's like my first week at NASA, there was a trash can that I wanted to put at my desk and I had to file paperwork that took two days to process in order to get the <laughs> trash can. It's government work. You're, you're making it into something bigger than it is. Okay. Was it boring? Or did it fill your cup that running kind of had left a bit empty? It definitely did not fill my cup. Uh, boring? Mm, depends on who you ask. So maybe not boring. Was it engaging mentally? Was it using your capacity or no? I and my annual review would pretty much consistently tell my boss that I'm putting in 15 to 20% effort because that is enough to be very good at the job. Uh, and there's so much more I could be doing, but... So I, I did a lot of the time feel like it was just, I mean, it, I think most jobs are like that though. If they're like, you get good at your job and then it's just, it's easy. So I, I, I was, it was working was the easiest thing that I've probably done in my life. Like that was probably the easiest portion of my life. Like I, I put again, about 15 to 20% of the capacity of work that I had into that. NASA's not the glamorous thing it's made out to be to little boys and girls all over the country? I guess it just depends on uh, who you ask. Okay. You mentioned, um, you mentioned that for like six years of your life, you focused on like a, like a different athletic task. I forget what you had mentioned. You mentioned it really early on when we started chatting. Mm -hmm. So did you leave running completely alone or was it still at least a hobby of some sorts? And then what was that other pursuit? So first year of work, uh, <clears throat> I was all in on running. Actually, the December, so I stopped racing officially that August. That December, I was still training like hard because I was like, I'm going to race in the trial still, like despite not being on the team. By yourself? Yeah, which, as you know, you can't be fast by yourself. But by December, I was in the best shape of my life. Like, I could not believe. Like, I what I basically did was took my previous year of training. I looked at my log, and I just almost replicated it and adapted it. And I was running so much better than I was a year before. And again, that's because I think the first year of any new training is a gimme. Um, or you were smashed that first year. Yeah. yeah. Can you can you explain something really quick? You said you can't run fast by yourself, and I don't think a lot of people here will understand that. But I certainly could. I can understand that coming from a collegiate perspective. What do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. You can't run fast by yourself. You need you need a support system. You need a group. You need teammates. You're you're never going to reach your peak if you're training alone. It's there's nobody that can do that. Like you, it, it is so much easier to run a 52 second 400 <laughs> in practice when you have somebody either behind you or in front of you. It doesn't matter as long as there's somebody there suffering with you. It makes that easier. 
it's really easy when it's the third week in a row, sixth week in a row of you showing up to the track and there's nobody in sight to just get back in the car and go home. Or lay off the throttle just a titch. Yeah. I think the shorter your race, the more impossible it gets to go solo. Agreed. Like you can run threshold work solo if you're trying to hit a heart rate or a millimole. You can run long runs if you're cutting down just on pace. But when you step onto a track or you run an eight-mile tempo or a four-mile cut down or you're running twos and threes and fours, like you said, there is power to the group that yeah. it costs less and you can do more. I agree with that, and but it's it's to a point, right? Like I think uh, a hundred meter guy could do okay training by himself, so I wouldn't say all the way. Down. Like I, I think I'm talking distance. Sorry, they, they're people too. All right, we can't disregard them. <laughs> different type of people. <laughs> they, <laughs> they are different creatures from different from athletes. distance runners. <laughs> yeah. Um. Let me think. So, would it be easier to train for? I think it would be easier to train for a marathon alone. Okay, 5K. I think it'd be really hard to train for a 5K alone for me because I think the intensity at the volume would be tough. Even just sharing reps. I would say anything 5K or shorter is equally difficult. Uh, Those are all, I would say, that's the point where I would say it's impossible to reach your peak if you're training alone. People use the word fast interchangeably with speed or good or successful. And so I think a lot of people will mistake that quote. You can't run fast alone. But when we're talking fast, we're talking track fast. Mm-hmm. Not like yeah. I ran a fast half marathon or a fast tempo, like track fast. If you're lacing up mm-hmm. the spikes, there is power to a group. Yeah. When tenths of seconds matter. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, it's a, it's a different kind of fast, right? Like some, some people don't really understand and that's more i really that's more at the sprinter level like the amount of football players that have come out and embarrassed themselves because they thought they were fast or the amount of basketball players that thought they could jump high it's just like when you dedicate yourself to being really good in a controlled environment at this very specific task yeah like you get really good at it Mm. (laughs) that's all there is yeah there's game speed and there's track speed and they are yeah. not equivalent. Not even a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that extends to 800, 5K. If you are like, yeah, like if you're a, a person who's into fitness, like a CrossFitter, who's a good runner for a CrossFitter, and you think that you're going to come out and you're going to do a workout with some real mid-distance runners, that's not going to go well. So one of my college teammates my freshman year, before I bounced back to D3, he grew up in Akron. And he ran in the same conference as Ted Ginn Jr. Oh, Teddy Ginn? Yeah, that's my boy. You know Ted? Not really. I, I, I don't know him personally, but I, I, there's some connection okay. there. Okay. He was what? He was 47, 46 open in high school, I think. Teddy Ginn for Heisman? Uh, Teddy Ginn for Heisman was a hurdler in high school. He ran the one, the 110 hurdles, uh, four by two. He was probably best at the 200. Um, he, I think he did run the 400, yep. but that wasn't his event. His best event was the 110 hurdles. But point being, he was a national level runner. Yes. Yeah. And he chose football and he was football fast and track fast. And he was mm-hmm. not the fastest track guy. He's a stud, mm-hmm. but he wasn't like we're tagging him as the future fastest man in America, potentially. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. He was a long strider, which he was faster than anyone in the NFL. And he wasn't like a Christian Coleman. Yeah. Tyree Kill was the fastest 200 meter runner in high school. And he came out, tried to run track in college and it 
didn't go well, right? Like, it, it's just different. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, you played football in the fall. Guess what? Those guys who were faster then, they got faster. You got slower. <laughs> so I sidetracked your story. We got to December, and then I, 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 railed, I derailed us about the whole can't run fast. So you were monster fit, running great times solo. Oh, yeah. And then I got my first injury in nine years. You said you had a stress fracture in high school. What was that? Stress fracture of what? Chin. And that was the injury previous. So it went nine years between that stress fracture and then it was just like tendonitis in my Achilles. It was nothing serious. But I, I was very – but that's how you get good is that consistency. Um, I was very consistent, just like always able to train. And I think I, I adapt well to training and I recover quickly. <clears throat> so I finally got injured. And then I was like obviously still trying to come back, but I just never – it was like always just like oh this hurts now this hurts and I think it was because you're working the office job and then trying to come out and train like a professional athlete and it's just and you're doing it alone so you're December and what that summer then is trials yeah and it derailed the train yeah I never even ended up racing I could never get because again I won't race unless I feel like I'm fit Mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm ready to go and so I just never got to that point um, after getting that first injury because I think I took – I would have to look. Let me – I got my log up. Uh, I can tell you exactly how many. I don't know who said I the quote, up. but the greatest ability is availability. Yeah, a lot of people have said that quote. It's a bit hyperbole, but at the end of the day, there's some truth there. So December twentieth, two 2015 was a 64-mile week, and then I got hurt. So from December 24th – Actually, on that day was six and a half miles. I was supposed to run 13, but I got hurt midway through. And then I took off from then, or I was injured from then until January 19th. What do you use for your training log? Excel. He's got a log, folks. Readily available. I track everything. Got to. We try to get our people to do that, too. We preach the training log. Preach mm-hmm. it. I, I, track it. I track like sleep, how much alcohol I drink. I track everything. I guess that doesn't surprise just based on does your brain work that way like really well he's an engineer well right that's why i'm like the finite details matter it's probably always mind-boggling when somebody's super haphazard about their training or their diet or their whatever and they're still successful like can you wrap your head around that because there's a lot in our sport that do it that yeah. way yeah yeah to, to each their own i i don't i really don't care what any other person does as long as it doesn't affect me so like when i see somebody who's like oh yeah i can eat pizza twice a week and still be fine i'm like yeah i I might be, I honestly think I could compete 95% of my top capacity while having a bad diet, but I, I consider myself an athlete who does, who's also healthy as opposed to somebody who's into fitness. Mm -hmm. Um, so like I train to be an athlete, but I also want to be really healthy. So I take those measures to be healthy. Yeah. So what was this other pursuit then like and tie this all into running like let's bridge this six year gap here as we kind of fast forward like what were you doing like the highlights of that time and you said I I was under the impression you left running alone a bit and then decided you wanted to pursue some other stuff like what was that all about? Well I was two time defending NASA Volleyball League champion throw that out there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's worth bragging about. You got a trophy in that room of yours right now somewhere? I don't keep trophies or anything I don't accept them. I, I remember hearing that now. Yeah, I just think it's dumb. I, I think the whole idea of idolizing athletes is stupid. Like, you're putting me on a podium 
at a race because I'm fast and I'm looking out at you and I'm like, somebody here is probably going to save another human being's life this week, but let's all get excited and clap because I can run fast. It's, it's just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, you know, whatever. That's a whole nother thing. <laughs> Would you do OCR then if there was no prize money? Uh, it, I think it costs too much to travel and pay for races and stuff. I, I like the prize money of like cancels out the cost of racing. If they were all local, do you enjoy OCR, the competition style enough? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I w- what would happen is I would not take it very seriously. I'd go to, you know, races that I could wake up, drive to, and drive back. And uh, But you truly enjoy it? Certain races, yes. Okay, continue. You were a two-time reigning volleyball champ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also won the basketball league. Uh, not a big deal either, but, you know... Uh, we were, we were holding it down out there. And, uh, yeah, I guess uh, I just really wanted to become an overall athlete again. So there, there were times in there that I would run. You know, I, I have a log. I can tell you exactly how much I ran on any given day or week. Uh, but for sure, there was like a six- or eight-month period where I didn't run once because I was like, it's not going to help me do a windmill, and that's all that matters. Now, there are two types of runners, those who say I'm not training at all and it means they're not following a script, and those who say when I don't run, it means I actually don't go out the door and run. For six to eight months, the only running I did was on the basketball court. Okay, so true time away from sport. That was, yeah, Uh, but otherwise, it was more like, oh, I'm going to run five miles here, you know, like I was never running over 30 miles a week, but it was like, oh, you know, I'm going to run 15, 20 this week, Like, like... I kind of always, other than that period, kept some sort of base, like, you know, just like, really, I, what I always said was, just in case one of these college kids comes out and decides to start talking some trash, I need to be ready. <laughs> right? Like, just fit enough that I can pop one 800. Is the act of running enjoyable, or is it a preventative action of, in case racing has to happen, I stay ready? Running is for racing. You train to race. I race to win tracks there you go yeah so what about the windmill pursuit then exactly like what did what did that look like uh so i started lifting heavy and doing just explosive movements um like i said i was playing a lot of basketball um yeah i was just measuring the vert trying to get the vert high and basic nothing special but that that was the goal i was like i want to do a windmill how long did you dedicate to that uh a year did you get it down that got to be real difficult. That got to be some bad crashes too. So it's what I found out uh, that year is I found out that dunking is a significantly greater skill than I gave it credit. Yeah. So like I was always able to like just you know dunk right. But the reason I think like it's hard to be five foot ten and do all these impressive dunks is part like partially the palming ball. Like I can palm a ball but not in the way that Michael Jordan can palm a ball, right? Like, where I can just throw that, you know, whatever. Like, I can palm it enough to, like, shove my hand on there and then slide in a dunk. So now when you're trying to do all these acrobatic dunks, controlling the ball and your body, it's it's really hard, I think, when you're shorter. I don't want to blame me being short, but I think I jumped. So my max touch was 10 foot 11 and i feel like there's other people who can touch 10 foot 11 and can do a windmill and i do think it was a lack of skill um 
like I don't think I'm uncoordinated, but I just don't think that hit well for me. Like I could, you know, I could like throw it off glass, catch it, like stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, like I could. Are you one foot or two foot dunker? So I was always one foot, but that year I one of the things I was working on was becoming two foot as well. So at, at that point, I could dunk off either one foot, two foot. Outside of freaks, windmill is a two foot dunk. I agree with that, and that's why I was trying to jump yeah. off at two feet. And that makes it tougher. A lot tougher. Because you can't control naturally. You can work on it, but what your plant leg and what your power leg is. And yeah. then that if that doesn't line up with your dominant hand, you're out of luck. So the way that I thought about it visually when I was like figuring out how I was going to do it, because I was like, it's got to be off of one foot because I could probably only touch 10 foot 8, 10 foot 9 off of two feet. It would have to be off a, a low bounce alley-oop. So throw bounce it maybe seven feet off the ground and then catch it so it'd be more of a three-quarters windmill and then dunk it in i feel like that would have been the only way i could have gotten it in so you didn't get it down no so you left the pro group without trials and you didn't get your windmill (laughs) i have a athletic career almost uh at this point it doesn't even hurt because it's just like oh yeah i failed there i failed there (laughs) Can you dunk on Will now, even with higher volume endurance training? That that's not left your body yet. Uh, last time I tried, I did, but uh... right. Bracken's got a little streak going. He want, he he needs to wedge in there. Well, I don't personally believe that running needs to impact your vertical. I think the top end of your vertical, those last two or three inches of prime versus on, can get affected with quality workouts and high mileage. But I think sometimes people's verts is supported by good quality run work. And I know that's I anti yeah. what the jump world would say, but I I think there's there's some truth to what you're saying. I think sprinters who are I mean classic jumpers would be dulled by endurance work, but people who are yeah. hybrids or slow twitch, I think it strengthens their vert. I don't. I wouldn't say strengthen, uh, but maybe. I mean, it's it's entirely possible. And it's I, I'm doing a lot of different training because now I actually created a plan and I'm like periodized this year and. It's also I'm in very different terrain than I, I've, I was always running flat roads, and now I'm running trail hills a lot. Um, well, not recently because of this weather, but um, I don't know. I'd, I'd be curious when uh, I will know for sure in April because I got something in my life that I gotta I gotta do to for some people. But uh, I, I at the moment cannot confirm or deny whether or not I would be able to dunk. Okay. So I don't know your train philosophy. I don't know the type of actual runner you are. But historically, track runners care about pace across the board. Was it? Were you able to throw out pace on easy days? Or was moving to mountain terrain running very difficult for your psyche as a fast runner? So <clears throat> it was easy, but that was because during the time when I wasn't training... and I would go for a run, I would never wear a watch. So I was running without knowing how far I went or how long I went. Okay. And and that was part of keeping myself, like, mentally healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, Saving the ego a little bit, yeah. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Did it become addictive to you in the pro group? The watch? The splits? No. No? No. Uh, No, it was never addictive. It's it's more of the, the competitiveness and the ego and, like, competing against myself if i see like if i'm going to run and i see anything <clears throat> over a seven minute mile like at until i moved to this area i was like something's 
that like that's not like it should you, there's no reason to be running over seven minutes in a mile like it's just but yeah uh no i i but i very much prescribe to time and effort uh, across the board all exercises all things uh that's all that really matters so are you taken to the mountains and trails is that going to become your scene or do you still have some desire to do some of the flat fast stuff in the future i like training in the mountains and all that but i'm learn. i don't think that i'm naturally gifted at it um really which yeah which is yeah i, I found it a little bit odd i thought that i would have <clears throat> a small transition period and then I'd be just as good at running in the mountains as I was at running flat and it's it's slower so right like this week it is slower I'm supposed to be putting in 50 miles with over 5,000 feet of vert and that's like it's not a terribly difficult week for me to hit and I feel like that's a good amount of vert and so I've been doing enough vert in order to be a good mountain runner and I just don't think that I am. I, th- I think that there's a lot of people who can just wreck me on a mountain. Same way, like, like there's there's a lot of people who are just like, oh, yeah, yeah let's come to the flat, and I'll be like, you don't want to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stride choice is a weird thing in the mountain, too, because you don't have that muscle memory to just choose the right length and effort stride on any terrain, whereas if I said go run on the flat at any given pace, you wouldn't have to think once about how your body moves. I can't figure out my stride at all. Like, and what's the hardest part is when you're doing different grades and you're transitioning and it's like, oh, I've been having this short little stride because I've been on a 20% grade and then it flattens out and you're like, wait, I, I should open up now. And I have to actually like think uh-huh. about opening up and like going faster. It, it's just, it's been rough. Woods has to be a little tough to train with in that because his stride always looks like he's got that Woods stride and his legs always look different than what yours are going to look like. And you can't tell what he's running at based off looking at his legs. He is outrageously gifted uphills. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's an amount of work. I mean, he's old. <laughs> uh, he's so old and he's so frail. <laughs> I mean, strength running is the last thing to go. And uphill running is strength running. There's, I don't think that there's anything I could do in the near future to be better than him at climbing up a mountain. I think it's a two-year process at minimum coming from the flat. Speaking, I'm no, not God's gift to climbing by any means, but it did not. The return on investment didn't show in, for multiple training cycles. For me, it was like two years before it felt natural. My body did what it was supposed to without me like grinding it out or overthinking it. And I know Bracken, you transitioned from flats to mountains, like before you became effective, how long did it take you? I mean, I spent 27 weeks, my first year straight on climbing. That's a, yeah. And I wasn't great, but my personal take, I don't know if Sean can hear us. I'll hold off on this. Yeah. My personal take is that uphill running is no different than any other form of running in terms of your engine and translating over and that when you go from middle school to high school, it takes a year or two to find your legs and you go to college, it takes a year or two. Mm -hmm. And when you go to uphill, it takes a year or two. And when you go from smooth to technical, it takes a year or two downhill stuff, technique stuff can change overnight for some people, or it can never arrive. But engine, I believe engine is engine, but you have to invest the same amount of time 
it took on the last stage. Mm-hmm. I agree. Because most great runners get to the point they can run great uphill, but not all of them ever become downhill. Yeah, yeah. I Yeah, I, I can agree with that. But that being said, Woods has a gift uphill. No, he's he's so good. I mean, we, we've done some runs, and like the, the one I told you about, the really long run, I felt so good about myself. I felt like I was crushing the, that vert and we were doing a good job. And then there's been other times when I was just like, I think the well, it's technical yeah. uphill more where it's just like, it's embarrassing. We tried to run up Mount Mitchell together once and he was gone in the, after the first mile. I, and like he, we, on the, I didn't make it to the top because I was so far behind that I was like, I'm not going to make him wait for me. And he was flying down this technical mountain, talking like fall leaves. I was walking down because I was like, this is too dangerous. <laughs> and he's just, yeah, he's he's really gifted on the trails. But what you just um, described, is that a lot different than how you might have described freshman year track, where there were days where you could run with the top guys and days you couldn't? I, I'm not a good example. I, I kind of was always good. Okay. Like, like I, I showed up there. I... Yeah. I feel like when you can pop a workout, eventually that's your baseline. That's your status quo. Early you show flashes, later the flashes become who you are. And you can't fake uphill. It is impossible. So if you have days you can yeah. fake it, eventually it becomes who you are. It's just how long does it take <laughs> to see that process through? Yeah, it's I don't know if we'll ever be good at technical. Um I could see myself being good at non technical hills uh but i i have chronic ankle instability for sure and that's going to affect my ability to run technical terrain um but i yeah i I could see myself eventually becoming not terrible relative to my flat ground abilities but as of right now flat versus running up a hill it's like it's two different runners i want to get to two things i'm looking at the clock Two things. I want to know how the heck you found this OCR stuff, right? That quick transition, like what changed there? And then I also just want to know your plans for the year, if you're willing to share or your potential plans for the year. So could you guide us just quickly through like your finding of the sport and then maybe what's going on in 2022? So I found it years ago. I think it was Tough Mudder. I saw like there was like a $50,000 prize or something, which I was just like, oh, wow. And then I looked at the people in it. And it was guys who like former track people, mostly steeplers. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Like, like, uh. That was Warrior Dash, wasn't it? He was Warrior With Dash. Max mm. King yeah. and John Riccardi. Um, there was this, no, another steeplechaser in there. Uh, John uh, McAdams. Yeah, Joshua McAdams. Josh McAdams. Yeah. Ran it one year too. Yeah, yeah. Like, He's on a number of Spartans, yeah. And, and I was like, man, I feel like I could do this. Uh sent a little feeler out to some of my uh my my elite running friends and they were just like don't don't do that if you're gonna race again you need to be racing on the track right like don't don't do that uh so i went years without doing it but almost every year i thought about it and i'm like man i feel like i'd be good at that um which i actually wouldn't have been at the time because i had no grip strength then last year kind of what happened uh I had, like, I'd still, like, I was looking for an excuse to run it. It was, like, run race. I was, like, always kind of like, I'll do this. But I had some friends who wanted to do a Spartan race. And we were originally going to do Vegas. But then they were like, we're not going all the way out to Vegas for this. So they were like, all right, let's do Jacksonville. And 
so went went out to the Jacksonville race, and again I, I wasn't training, but I was just like I like I, I don't think it really matters. I think I think I'm gonna do okay. I did, did okay there. I I really wanted to run the elite race, but they wouldn't let me, and I, I that that bothered me that that they were just like you're not athletic enough to run in the elite race. I all it won't lie. That was the very first race they enforced the gated entry. And it's really unfortunate that it happened to be that day. In the past, they always gave wild cards in. It was the first day they drew the line, and that sucks. And the worst part of it was I had to run the 10K, which obviously, like, I'm less prepared to run a 10K than a 5K when I'm not running. Uh, So I was like, I I could probably fake a 5K. Like, I could get out there and, like, just do something. But, yeah, I never got the opportunity. I ran the 10K, hurt myself, like, with 800 meters to go and almost walked it in uh just about like there was kind of like hopping and so i didn't get to race the 5k the next day which is probably good because i wasn't in shape anyway um yeah started kind of training uh as much as i could again unstructured Uh, and then the other question was plans for this year yeah I'm, i'm curious as to as to what's coming up savage series and OCRWC are the goals. Which OCRWC? 3K, 15K, or both? Well, 3K's first, right? Yeah. So hit that one first. I'm pretty disappointed in how last year went. Like that, I I know, well, first of all, that's Wood's fault uh, as well. Because uh, Woods was like, it's a flat course, it's a flat course. I remember specifically, <laughs> we ran up a hill that was like 50 meters, and he's like, this is bigger than any hill you'll have to run at OCRWC. Where did he get his intel? I'm t- and I'm telling you, he mentioned this like twice a week for a month. It's flat, it's flat, it's flat. So I didn't run any hills leading up to it. I wasn't prepared, and then I get out there, and I'm just like, that's a mountain. You know what, <laughs> we talked on the phone last year. A lot of our conversation was about that. We're like, yeah, people say this course is flat. Do not trust what people say about flat. There's a difference between a hill to a track runner and a hill to a mountain runner. Too, that mm-hmm. You cannot trust when people say flat. I remember when I got into this sport, Bracken, and you told me that Monterey wasn't a mountain course, and we climbed 2,500 feet in eight miles, and I got my ass kicked. Yeah, I'm not to be trusted either. Everything is a mountain. Yeah. I was like, we're running 600-foot climbs. That's not a mountain to you? Anyways, that's yeah, that's a distortion in our sorry, in our Eric. sport for sure. I apologize. But yeah, I'm I'm pr- pretty unhappy. I would actually love to see the splits from the top of that hill to the finish because I think the rest of the race went well, but I was over a minute behind by the top of the hill. On the top of an 800 meter hill, I was a minute behind because I, I was just so unprepared to do that, and also just naturally not as gifted on the mountains. I don't think. Uh, but the whole rest of the race, I think I was doing really well. So I would love to go back there and have a, a better uh, race. Um, I, I really just, I, I thought I should have done significantly better than I did. Um, so yeah, that'll be the <clears throat> like the marquee race for me is to do that. And then if I'm not too sore, the 15K the next day. I know people in this sport are like running three races in a weekend, but that's generally not. Like, I'm like, look, I give it my all in the one race, and uh, you're probably not going to get another one from me. But I'll try. My last question for you, then, is you had, I think, the shortest learning curve in terms of obstacles that I've seen at the high end. Generally, the faster the runner who comes in, 
the longer that process is to to get their handle on grip and being able to transfer through obstacles with some amount of efficiency. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to be calling the Savage Race your first two. And from the start, you were competent hanging off the ground, grip work, transitioning, even if there were things you'd never seen, they might've slowed you, but you got through them. You looked like year two of a gifted runner coming over. What, what set you up to be able to handle that? So I, I would make one correction. I feel like I was confident, not competent because I like for sure the first, uh, anchors way I did I think I did like a 720 as I was going through those things. I spun so many times. I I did not, I still don't actually feel very competent on a lot of swinging obstacles, but I've been rock climbing for almost three years now. Uh, I think I have the weakest grip for anybody who climbs the boulder grades that I climb, but I'm working on it. Uh, So I actually started hangboarding in December. So hopefully my grip is a little better, but I still, I feel comfortable hanging uh you know and i don't have the grip strength that like oh for example the the race i lost in florida to uh ken craigliano i rewatched that dude like his grip strength it's just it he is so obstacle proficient Mm -hmm. and i think a part of that is he first of all he knows the rules inside like he he won that race on like so much experience like i was outrunning him significantly but i made one mistake on an obstacle that cost me 45 seconds to him i counted that back up after but like his grip is so good and he's so smooth through the obstacles like he he ape swings everything every like he doesn't need to think about i was like doing heel hooks and hanging off my leg on obstacles and stuff he just swung right through everything saved him so much time so like he it, that was impressive that I would I aspire to have that level of obstacle competency. Um it was very impressive to rewatch uh and see him do those. Um but yeah, I I don't feel like I uh am fluid in any way on obstacles. I feel like I get through them on general athleticism. That makes sense. I got one last question I'll wedge in quick too. Do it. Um I know you worry about yourself. You don't spend time worrying about other people. I think you made that pretty clear, which is a good thing. But is there anybody's number you got or anybody you got, like, you know, when you're out there hustling that you want to you wanna really, like, go toe-to-toe with and, you know, see if we can beat them? Anybody that you think about or not really? You just worry about yourself. I race to win. So it doesn't matter who it is. All right. Do you, do you like calling your shot? Do you put stuff out there? Or do you like to keep it under under wraps? Like, what, do you do you want... Do you believe your ceiling is X in this sport? Or do you just like say, I believe I'm, but I'm not saying a word about it. No, I don't mind embarrassing myself by saying what I think I can do. Like if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It's not going to, like, you can say, oh, he's got this huge ego. Like you said, like, but I can tell you what I think. I think that in a savage race, I believe that my best race is the best race. Mm -hmm. If I, if I show up and I run my best race, I don't think I can lose. Um, now, I think my percentage chance of running my best race is significantly lower than people who have way more experience than me. I, I learned so the second half of my year last year was terrible because I learned so many lessons and I'm like, how many more lessons can I learn? Like Florida was a lesson on uh, wet obstacles. I made a huge error and blew out my arms, which had never happened. I was like, oh, I didn't know my arms could get tired in a race. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, now I like put that in the back of my mind. But there's there's just so many lessons to learn in this sport. <clears throat> I'm hoping that I've learned most of them, but I still think my the percentage chance that I run my best race is way lower than anybody else. I, I think a lot of these guys like. <laughs> Um, use VJ as an example again. I I don't think he really has bad races. Uh, he's just consistent, uh, and he's good like all the time. Like he's just, he knows what he's doing. Um, that's it's not me out there. Uh, but I think that if I run my best race, I'm when obstacles that aren't like hanging like fluidity like that. I think nobody's gaining time with me. Like getting over walls, stuff like that. I'm going to do fine. And if it's flat, I, I don't think anybody's going to outrun me. Uh, so yeah. I don't, I don't know. I think 2023 spring is when I'll start to actually be where I believe I am. I think this will still be like, I'll win a race here. Then I'll get fifth because I screwed up here. You know, like that's, that makes sense. I think that's a reasonable way to look at things. Yeah. And I could be wrong. I could come out and not podium at all in the Savage Series. That's also very much a possibility. But I believe that if I run my best race, I'm going to win. Well, thank you very much, Sean. I appreciate you coming on here. Anything you think people need to hear today? They, they've heard too much already. This has been over two hours, man. All right. It's been a good We As much as maybe you want to keep a few things under rocks, I feel like we got to know you a little bit today, and that's been nice. So I think you did good there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I look forward to seeing you at a race this year. Well, hey, Kempson, Kempson played ball for a year in college, and we're always talking about trying to get at one of these race weekends a game going, so hopefully we can do that. If you, look, if you, that's what you want. I'm out. I'm going to play soccer. I'm in. I, I don't touch a basketball anymore, but it's, I don't know, man. You don't have the hamstring for it. I don't think you can handle it. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot have any idea what the other person can do until you see them play. You're too small. I'm bigger than you are. I'm a... I'm effectively 6'4", 205 on the court. Let's get that out the way. All right? You're too small. I would I'd baby you. You're going to be a mouse in my house. You're, I would, Bracken, I would baby you. Oh, my God. Well, you know what? Let's, this is working. He's going to keep this receipt. Yeah, Sean, Sean, this will get you know, Sean be, through a whole other year of training. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I hate to cut your banter short, but I need to go because I got to prep for a 5 o'clock call. But if I leave, I think I cut you guys off, don't I? Yeah, you're 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 meeting hosts. All right, I'll just think of ways that he's going to handle my first step. 